The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning again. Hope everyone's ready for a real feel-good sermon after that. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a background as to why we're looking at this psalm, uh, I've been a pastor in the church for about a decade, and then just starting this year, I've been teaching Bible in a high school and working as a chaplain at Macaulay just down the road, essentially being a pastor to high schoolers, whether or not they're Christians or not. Uh, And it's been very eye-opening. I mean, it's, it's reminding me just how beautiful the hope we have in Jesus is. And on the other side of that, it's reminding me just how, how dark a place this world can be for those without hope. Hence, why we're looking at Psalm 88. Uh, the Psalms, they're essentially the, the Psalm book of the Old Testament. They're written over several years by several different authors. Uh, probably the most famous is Psalm 23, right? the Lord is my shepherd. But the beauty of those Psalms, there's 150 of them. And there's plenty that are just psalms of pure praise. God, you're good, you're magnificent, you're holy, you're just. The heavens declare the glory of God. But there's also a lot of what we call the psalms of lament. It's where the psalmist cries out just how awful their situation is, uh, how dangerous it is for them. Like there's enemies at the gate. The wicked seem to be prospering. The people who are following God seem to be floundering. Most of the psalms of lament, they have this pattern. They cry out to God about their situation, They ask God for help, and then they end it by saying things like, "Uh, I'm going to trust you and praise you, God. Because you have been faithful to me and to your people in the past, I'm going to trust you with this, even though my life is falling apart. I'm so thankful we have these psalms of lament, especially in COVID and post-COVID years, or when someone you love gets a bad diagnosis, someone you love dies. Uh, When everything in your life seems just turned upside down, these psalms of lament are a really good place to go because they're real, 
they're honest and they're relevant. Like with, with brutal honesty, they cut through this false belief that if you just trust and follow God and obey him, then things will work out relatively well for you in this life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like I have to struggle against that thought constantly. This idea that, you know, you'll be hashtag blessed if you just do all the right things and you could post about it on Instagram. Is it not so refreshing for us to just read in this Bible, people who are earnestly seeking God cry out to him, God, why are you letting this happen? Why is my life turning out like this? And the reason I want to look at Psalm 88 this morning is that there's no happy ending to it. Uh, did you notice it's in the original Hebrew that it was written into? The last word in Psalm 88 is darkness. This is a gloomy psalm. And what I want to pitch to you this morning is that if you consider yourself a Christian this morning, not only are you allowed to grieve and cry out to God, but the gospel is going to be that much sweeter if and when you do. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what you believe, maybe you're investigating Christianity for the first time or for the first time in a while, uh, please know that God wants you to bring your actual emotions to him. He wants you to bring your actual life experiences and not just pretend like everything's fine. You don't have to pretend that everything's sunshine and rainbows all the time. I know it's, it's intimidating sometimes you walk in a church where you don't know everyone. It's tempting to look around and think that everybody's got their lives together. We don't, just in case you need to hear that. Um, so with that cheery introduction, let me pray and then we'll jump into it. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it's true and that you give it to us because you love us. And we especially thank you this morning for psalms like these that are so honest and crying out with confusion and fear. We thank you that you don't turn us away because of our honesty. We thank you that you can handle cries of anger. And would you bless the reading and preaching of the word this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why in the world is this passage in the Bible? Well, it's in there for you, right? And although the psalm ends with hope, I promise the sermon will not, so bear with me till the end. So what does the psalm imply by ending the way it does? Talking about not having any friends in darkness. This guy, Haman, or Heman as I like to call him, he's written this song. His darkness has driven him to the breaking point. There doesn't seem to be any hope. Right. Some parts of the psalm, they almost seem blasphemous, don't they? Like it's, it's kind of uncomfortable reading and listening to it. But one of the big takeaways from this is that if you are following Jesus, darkness can last a long time. And I know many of you are well aware of that. But look back at verse 1. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, who he counts God as his Savior, says, I cry out day and night before you. This man follows after God. He believes God has saved him. And yet it seems like the darkness has all but swallowed him up. Every day, day after day, this man is calling out of his darkness to God, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. So what's happening to the psalmist? What exactly is his darkness? Well, we know he's lost all of his friends. We know he's facing death, or at least a very real possibility of death. In verse 4, he says, I'm a man who has no strength. And towards the end, he says he feels like these assaults are coming from the very hand of God. So why is this in the Bible again? I mean, for those of us who, if you consider yourself a Christian, especially here in the South, where it's become like culturally inappropriate to answer the question, how are you doing with the answer, not good, <laughs> not great. You need to hear this, right? You need to see a man who loves God and calls him Savior being crushed by the darkness. Not because he deserves it, not because he did something to sin against God and this is his payback, 
but because God in his wisdom allows it to continue. Y'all, please hear this. Christianity never promises to make this life easier or more comfortable or that you'll suffer less somehow as a follower of Jesus than you would have otherwise. Jesus never promises to take away all your suffering in this life. You know, you might think, well, since I started following Jesus, I started doing some really good things. I stopped doing those things. I've become a more generous, compassionate person. Surely God will protect me from sadness and pain now that I'm following him and I'm doing everything right. That's tempting to think, isn't it? If you've ever thought that, or when, when you start to think about that, I want you to look to Jesus. Because Jesus was a lot better than you and I could ever be. Jesus loves the Father more than you and I do. He's more obedient, more faithful. And yet, while he was on earth, Jesus endured all kinds of suffering. I mean, at, at the end of Jesus' life, a life spent healing and caring for and feeding other people. After the end of his beautiful life, Jesus was tortured, he was nailed to a cross, and he was killed. And you know what Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross? He said, this world hates me, and if you follow me, it'll hate you too. So expect suffering. It's a good pep talk, isn't it? Thanks, Jesus. Expect suffering. That's not terribly comforting, is it? But the Bible says that it's actually going to be in those moments of darkness and pain that you will grow the most, that you'll come to know who God is through that darkness. Look back at verse 10. The psalmist, Haman, he essentially puts God on trial. And he says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? He's essentially saying, God, I want to write songs and sing songs about you and about how faithful you are and how good you are. But how am I going to do that if I'm dead? Right? He says, how are you going to work through me and the gift of music you've given me if I'm dead, if the darkness consumes me? And then that last verse where he says, my companions have become darkness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, darkness is a better friend than you. I'd rather be with darkness than with you. The only other psalm to end like this is Psalm 39. And it's a psalm of David. David was a king in ancient Israel. And David ends Psalm 39 by saying to God, look away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more. Have you ever thought that? Or do you cringe when you hear that? I mean, to be honest, for the longest time, I didn't know what to do with these psalms, right? How can someone who loves God say something like that? How could David, who scripture calls a man after God's own heart, how could he write something like that? Uh, let me share with you one of the best things I've ever read in a commentary. Commentaries are usually very boring and dry, but this is really good. He says, the very presence of these prayers in scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they're desperate. Is that not incredibly comforting? God knows how men and women speak when we're desperate. God put these Psalms in his Bible. God didn't censor his people from saying these things because he knows us, right? he created us. God doesn't despise you for feeling overwhelmed by real darkness in your life. God doesn't despise you for still being wounded for something that happened years ago to you. Because Psalm 88 is in the Bible, God is saying, I'm even a God of people who pray and sing like this. 
So if you've ever prayed or sung like this, God is so gracious and understanding, then instead of saying to you, well, that's too much, like you used some salty language in that prayer to me just now, uh, you, you just need to leave and go away. He doesn't say that. Instead of moving further away from you when you're being upset and frustrated with him, he actually moves closer to you. I mean, this is not a God whose relationship with us depends upon our behavior, is it? It's a really good thing. This is a God who loves you because he loves you. And when you cry out to him in the darkness, when the darkness finally clears, either in this life or in the next, you will know just how good and gracious he is. Uh, when I was in seminary, I was an intern at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was an amazing church, very intentionally multicultural, multi-ethnic. And I remember preaching one time on Genesis 50. So that's at the very end of the book of Genesis. Uh, it's the end of Joseph's story, familiar with Joseph and his coat of many colors. His brothers were so jealous of him, they beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery, and they just left him for dead. And Joseph goes from being a slave to being in jail to being wrongfully accused of sexual assault. And at the end of his life, he's like the number two guy in Egypt. He's like the powerhouse nation in the world at that point. Uh, and after he's gone through all this, there's a famine in Israel where his family was still. And so his brothers travel to Egypt to beg for food so they don't starve to death. And they don't recognize Joseph because it's been decades and they thought he was dead. And so finally, Joseph kind of reveals himself to his brothers and they think, oh, he's about to murder all of us. Like, we deserve this. He's about to take all of us out. But do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? These guys who sold him into slavery and left him for dead. It's so good. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Isn't that an amazing perspective on a life that has gone so horribly wrong for decades and decades? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then Joseph throws his arms around his brothers and he hugs them and he kisses them and he forgives them. Now, for me, as a middle-class white kid studying theology and biblical languages, I looked at that when I was in school. I was like, oh, this is a great place in the Bible to take my Baptist friends to convince them that God is sovereign over all things. But I'll never forget, after the service, Miss Norma comes up to me. And Miss Norma was this wonderful elderly African-American woman uh, this was 12 years ago. She's in her late 80s then. She's kind of like the matriarch of the church. And she couldn't even speak. Like tears were just streaming down her face. She's so overwhelmed. And she just hands me a bulletin for the church that Sunday. And it just has in large capital red Sharpie letters, yes and amen, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I still have that bulletin. But why, why was she so overwhelmed at the hearing of that story? And I'm 100% sure it was not my sermon. It was just the reading of Genesis 50 in that story. Miss Norma grew up in darkness. I Miss mean, Norma grew up in a segregated America where she was constantly being told she was a second-class citizen. And just the few stories she told me in Holly, just unspeakable things were done to her and her loved ones. And so what surely must have felt like an unending darkness up and through the civil rights era, trusting in God all along, I mean, this side of heaven, I will never know God's goodness and grace like Miss Norma did. But don't you see that it's only through that darkness that she came to know just how good God is. As disheartening as Psalm 88 seems, something to remember, maybe the best thing to remember, is that it's still a prayer to God. Like the psalmist is angry, he's frustrated, he's crying out to God, he's speaking to God in a way that maybe makes us a little uncomfortable. But he's directing it where? To God. 
All right, one commentator, he said this. He says, this man, even though he's not praying the way he ought to be praying, he's still praying. He says, darkness is my closest friend, but he's saying it to God. He goes on, he says, when you go through darkness, if you don't feel that God is there, but you hold on anyway, and you say, you know what? You're God, and I'm not. I'm not getting anything out of this, but I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to church and worship. I'm still going to love my neighbor. He says, that will turn you into a person of endurance and strength and stability. It's worth thinking about. So every year as a church, we celebrate Christmas and Easter, right? We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas and his death and resurrection at Easter. And the hope of the Christian, it's based on those two truths, right? That not only did God come as a man, but he died and he rose again three days later for his people. And so the hope of the Christian, it's a sure thing because of the resurrection of Jesus. No matter what you've ex have experienced, no matter what you're going through now, no matter what is coming for you in the future, if you followed Jesus, you have the hope of a resurrected savior, right? Because of what God has already done, you can trust him. And so what Haman and his merry band of psalmists would have put it in the Old Testament is that their hope is based on God's steadfast love, or they would call it his covenant loyalty. It's basically a fancy way of saying God has always made good on his promises, and so we have every reason to believe that he'll continue to make good on his promises. But Haman, at least in this psalm, he couldn't see the end, right? He, he was certainly praying and singing as though he couldn't see the end. And he's actually mentioned in the book of First Chronicles, in chapter 6, verse 33, which I know you all read regularly. Uh, he's named as a singer in the courts of David, the sons of the Kohathites. So I literally, I think this is like the, the Backstreet Boys of ancient Israel. It's like this boy band. Uh, and we know from that that they wrote several psalms in the 40s and in the 80s. And so think about that for a minute. Like, maybe Haman came out of his darkness and went on to live a happy, cheery life where nothing ever went wrong again. And maybe he didn't. But he might never have come out of his darkness until he died and went to be with God. But taken as a, as a whole, the book of Psalms has been comforting men and women, teaching them, giving voice to their pains and their joys for thousands of years. It was about 2,500 years ago that the Psalms were written. And we're still reading them. We're still singing them and preaching them and praying them. And so whether Haman saw the end of his darkness in his lifetime or not, we know that his suffering was temporary. And God used whatever horrible circumstances he was going through to minister to millions of people throughout the ages. I mean, you may not be getting anything out of this, but I have been just stewing on Psalm 88 for this week. Haman would have had no idea how God would use his suffering for his good purposes, uh, but we can today, right? Clear as a bell, we can sing it. God was at work, God was, had good purposes, he was using Haman's circumstances for ultimate good. And for you today, this is so important for us. You can know that God is using your darkness and your pain for his good purposes. If you are united to Jesus by faith, God is using your darkness for his ultimate good. And do you know how you can know that? You know how that's not just like a nice saying that you can hear and go on. You know how you can know that? Remember the end of Psalm 39? God's face is turned away. And the end of Psalm 88, darkness. Does that remind you of anyone? Uh, let me share with you Matthew's account of Jesus on the cross. This is chapter 27. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Leosabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? And Jesus cried out again and with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. Whatever darkness you're in, whatever pain you're going through, as permanent and painful as it may seem, it's not the total darkness and the total separation from the Father that God endured. Because on the cross, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Jesus died the death of a sinner, and he was actually abandoned by the Father. He was forsaken. He was given the death and the separation from God that you and I deserve. And so what you think might be God's wrath and anger at you when you're surrounded by darkness, Jesus really and truly experienced that darkness and that separation so that you and I who trust in him, we won't have to, right? That's the offer of the gospel, that by faith in Jesus, you will never have to experience the death and separation from the Father that you and I deserve because Jesus has already done it for us on our behalf. I was asked to give a sermon title, and I jokingly said, Hello, Darkness, my old friend, because it's a great Simon and Garfunkel song. Uh, but on the cross, as Jesus died with your sin and your sin and my sin nailed to the cross with him, his friends had abandoned him. His own people had put him on the cross. The Father had forsaken him. All that Jesus has left is darkness. So Christian, and if you're here this morning and your faith is not in Jesus, please consider this an invitation. Jesus was abandoned so that you would only feel as if you're abandoned. Right? Jesus experienced true darkness so that you would only feel like you're being overwhelmed and consumed by darkness. And because Jesus has absorbed the punishment for sin on our behalf, and because he rose again from the dead on our behalf, for you who hope in Jesus, the light is already breaking through to the darkness. And one day it'll cast it out completely. You know, Haman pretty sarcastically asks, God, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? And if you are in Christ, the answer is yes. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you never belittle our pain. Uh, you never belittle the darkness we endure. You have a very real perspective on it. And you love us so much that you sent Jesus to absorb the pain and darkness and the punishment that we deserve so that we can experience light and life forever. Lord, we thank you for how patient you are with us. We thank you that you don't despise us when we cry out to you in frustration or anger, but you welcome it. Again, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, for those who don't know who Jesus is or don't know the gospel, would you use us to share it with them? Would you soften hearts? Would you help us all to live out of this good news that because Jesus died and rose for us, we have life and we have light and we won't be consumed by the darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you use us to share it with them? Would you soften hearts? Would you help us all to live out of this good news that because Jesus died and rose for us, we have life and we have light and we won't be consumed by the darkness. Praise in Jesus' name.